Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Official representatives of the United States, including the members of this very commission um, headed by Mr. Mueller, we can let them into the country and they will be present to this questioning. But in this case, there is a... There's another condition. Um, this kind of effort should be a mutual one. For instance, we can bring up uh, the Mr. Mr. Browder in this particular case. Um, it's not the first time, and it won't be the last time. Uh, Vladimir Putin is very mad at me. Russia then accused Browder and Magnitsky of tax fraud. He offered to have the people working on the case come and work with their investigators with respect to the 12 people. I think that's an incredible offer. Putin's got a real problem here because um, I put his money at risk and that's why he's so angry. Hello and welcome to Trumpcast, the show about the man who gets tied up in knots, Donald Trump. I'm Jacob Weisberg. At least that's what the president claimed today as an explanation of why he took Vladimir Putin's side in Helsinki on Monday. What he said was, I don't see any reason why it would be Russia. What he meant to say, he now says, was, I don't see any reason why it wouldn't be Russia. But he was afraid of committing a double negative. Which reminds me of a true story about Sidney Morgenbesser. Morgenbesser was a professor of philosophy and a famous wit who taught at Columbia University for many decades. One time, Morgenbesser was present at a lecture on the philosophy of language by the Oxford philosopher J.L. Austin, who was visiting Columbia sometime in the 1950s. Austin pedantically pointed out that in English, a double negative amounts to a positive, but a double positive never amounts to a negative. From the audience, Morgenbesser's voice was heard, yeah, yeah. Trump wants us to believe that his accidental non-double negative doesn't amount to a positive. And I'm double positive that he's lying through his teeth. On today's show, the man Vladimir Putin wants dead and who Trump would gladly hand over as a favor to his pal if he could do it, or wouldn't not hand over to his not pal, or wouldn't not not. I'll be back with William Browder, the force behind the Global Magnitsky Act, right after this message. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. William Browder is the author of the book Red Notice, which tells the story of the murder of his lawyer, Sergei Magnitsky, in a Russian prison and his efforts to bring the killers to justice through the sanctions law known as the Magnitsky Act. Bill, welcome back to Trumpcast. Um, great to be here. I guess, you know, watching this uh, press conference yesterday, when, you, when your name came up, my, my thought was, well, 
Bill Browder knew there was a price on his head in Russia, but he didn't know that that price was 12 GRU agents. Yeah, I was pretty flattered, actually, that, that I mean, you know, being a top, you know, general in GRU is a pretty big job. And the fact that I'm, I'm worth 12 of those guys, one has to feel pretty good about himself. <laughs> it's like a lot, of, a, lot of, like a lot of cows. But, of course, uh, Putin was not offering to give up those indicted military intelligence agents to the United States for prosecution. He was merely saying that he would arrange for uh, Robert Mueller to, I guess, come and interview them in Russia. Yeah, well, I mean, th- this is the absurdity of the whole thing, is that um, uh, if anyone knows, goes back to the history of, of the Litvinenko assassination, that's a guy who was assassinated in London with polonium, nuclear poison, um, his killer was a guy, or his alleged killer, I should say, was a guy named uh, Andrei Lugovoy, who is a, uh, a Russian national. And in that case, the um, Russians allowed the British police to come and interview Lugovoy, and then the British police came to the conclusion that Lugovoy was their man, that they, they thought he had killed Litvinenko, and they said, please present him for trial. And at that point, the Russians said, well, well wait a second, we don't ever extradite anybody from Russia. And um, since then, Mr. Lugovoy has become a senator in the Russian Senate, and the British government has never been able to bring justice to Litvinenko's family. And so to the extent that we have any expectation that these 12 individuals are ever going to come and face justice in America, one shouldn't have that, that expectation should be zero. And it was an absurd proposition because while this is something that the United States government wants, it's not something Donald Trump wants. The last thing Donald Trump wants is for Robert Mueller to be able to dig deeper and find out more about the, the interference in the uh, 2016 election and the Russian attack on the United States. I mean, he's not eager to get to the bottom of it. He wants to not get to the bottom of it. Well, so, so, so his body language tells us, right? <laughs> I mean, that was the thing that was kind of shocking when, you know, watching the press conference when, when Putin brought this up. And essentially, I mean, it's a, it's a sort of horrifying idea, of course, that a liberal government would hand, you're not an American citizen, you're a British citizen, but the idea uh, that the Americans would cooperate in handing you over to Russia. And instead of expressing any kind of visceral reaction at this diabolical proposal, Trump was just kind of nodding and saying, "Yeah, yeah, sure, great idea." <laughs> it, 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 it all it was all surreal and um, didn't seem like anything I've ever seen before. You had, I mean, the press conference was an extraordinary spectacle. Just to dwell on it for a moment before I ask you a little bit about uh, more about the Magnitsky acts, but. There was a piece Masha Gessen has up in, in The New Yorker today describing it, which is very good. And she was sort of comparing Putin and Trump and their styles as liars. And she's Putin lies in this dull bureaucratic tone, this sort of boring authoritative way, which is very different from the way Trump lies, which is like this paranoid, hysteric tone. And weirdly, when you put those two things side by side, Putin is the one who looks more dignified. Well, Putin is one of the most, I mean, I, I wouldn't call Putin a credible liar because, um, uh, you know, once you've lied a certain number of times, then everybody assumes you're lying. And so, but, but it, to, to the extent that, that you don't know, you, you've not looked at any of Putin's past statements and you hear him talk, it all sounds very, as you say, very boring and credible because, you know, why would he say anything otherwise? The only, the only way that you know Putin is, is such an incredible, bald-faced liar is by looking at his history 
And for example, you know, he, he, uh, he lied about the Russian troops in Crimea when everybody saw these troops. And he lied about the Russian missile shooting down MH17 when, when, when you have like people, Russian troops talking on the radio about, oops, we, we shot down a passenger plane. He lied about the doping in the Olympics when, when the evidence was incontrovertible. He lies about everything. And so basically, no matter what his style of lying is, he's a liar, a bald-faced liar. And, um, and not, nobody should believe a word that comes out of his mouth. But he just said very flatly that you had given Hillary Clinton $400 million, which is, of course, absurd in, in every possible way. But he says that, you know, in a way that is almost as, as if that were, a, that were a reasonable thing that might have happened. Well, and, and, what, and what, makes it, what makes that story even sillier is that today, a day after, the, um, day after the press conference, the Russian prosecutor's office issues a correcting statement where they say our president meant to say that, that Browder gave Hillary Clinton's campaign 400000 not $400 million. They were off by a factor of 1000 and I should point out, just for the record, that I have not given Hillary Clinton's campaign or anybody else's campaign <laughs> a single penny ever in my life. But, but for him to come out with his $400 million, you know, with a total straight face and then have all sorts of uh, anti-Hillary people all over Twitter repeating it and attacking me and so on and so forth, it's all, it's all quite extraordinary. And then Trump's correction was that he, he didn't not not believe his own intelligence services. I mean, they both had to wa- well, walk I mean, back I, preposterous comments. The, the, whole, the whole thing was, was a complete idiocy from top to bottom on both sides and, and a real embarrassment for, for both yeah. people. But Putin is the one who introduced your name into the discussion. And it was just, it pointed again to how neuralgic the Magnitsky Act is for Putin. And I, I want you to talk for a minute about why that is. Of all of the, the enemies and opponents Russia faces, of all the things Putin's worried about, why does he come back again and again? And obviously, the, you know, the, the notorious Trump Tower meeting almost exactly two years ago in 2016, when the Russians came with some kind of offer of uh, espionage about Hillary, Hillary Clinton, what they wanted in return was the repeal of the Magnitsky Act. This is the thing they care about it. Why, Bill, do they care about it so very much? Well, it's, it's real simple. So Putin is a kleptocrat. What does that mean? It means he steals money from his government. And he doesn't steal in the tens of thousands or the hundreds of thousands. He steals in the tens of billions. He's stealing a lot of money from his country. And the money that he's stealing from his country um, has to go somewhere. And so he puts this money into the hands of Russian oligarchs who become his trustees, and they hold this money offshore. And in order to steal this money, he's got to commit grave crimes. Sometimes he has to kill people, like he killed my lawyer, Sergei Magnitsky. And what the Magnitsky Act does is it says that people who commit human rights abuses in Russia and elsewhere can have their assets frozen in the United States and have their visas canceled and have their assets frozen under something called the uh, U.S. Treasury sanctions or the OFAC sanctions list. And why Putin cares about this so much is that it puts his entire business model of kleptocracy at risk. If he's committed crimes, which we can prove that he has, crimes like the murder of Sergei Magnitsky and others, and he has assets overseas, which we can identify, then, then those assets will be frozen. And so he feels like all the hard work that he's done over the last 18 years 
as president of Russia, all the stealing that he's done, all the people he's had to take hostage and torture and kill, all that hard work is going to be for nothing if that money gets frozen. And because I was the person, after the murder of my lawyer, Sergei Magnitsky, went out and spent my life putting this Magnitsky Act in place in the United States and in other countries, in Canada and the UK and the Baltics, and soon to be, hopefully, other countries in Europe, Putin feels totally exposed. And he feels totally exposed by me, because I'm the one doing it. And so I'm the person he dislikes the most, and the Magnitsky Act is the policy he dislikes the most, and he wants to get rid of both. He wants to have the Magnitsky Act repealed, and he wants to have me killed. Bill, what's your reason for believing or your evidence for thinking that those billions are Putin's money as opposed to money that actually belongs to the oligarchs that support him? Because he could be pretty upset about the Magnitsky Act if the people closest to him, i.e. these oligarchs, are upset about it. He's taking their money. So what's the reason for thinking it's his money? Well, what, what, what happens, it, 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 the only way a, a secret can be kept is if only one person knows it. If more than one person knows some information, then it's no longer a secret because sooner or later information leaks out. And what's happened with all these trustee arrangements that Vladimir Putin has is that some of them have become disaffected, some of them have fallen out, and some of them then have left Russia and shared that information in the West. There's a great example of Putin's villa on the Black Sea. This is a villa that cost a billion dollars to build. Just think about that, a billion dollars for a property. And the billion dollars was paid for by a number of Russian oligarchs. And the person who was in charge of building it and collecting the money fell out with Putin and fled the country and has provided all the background information and documents to show this as one of many examples. And so you have this situation. Actually, another good example is that there is a, uh, a friend of Putin, one of his best friends is, uh, from childhood. His name is Sergei Roldugin. Sergei is a cellist, uh, a very famous cellist in mm. the Mariinsky Orchestra in St. Petersburg. And he's also the goddaughter, a god, godfather of one of Putin's daughters. And the, in the Panama Papers, it was revealed that this cellist, Mr. Roldugin, was worth $2 billion. $2 billion for a cellist. And, and, and what's most interesting is when you dig down into the details, you find all these payments, like investment advisory services from one Russian oligarch to Mr. Roldugin's company for $75 million. All these kinds of things like that. Now, of course, Sergei Roldugin is not getting this money. He's a trustee one for Vladimir Putin. One assumes he's the nominee holding and these so, assets for Putin. That, 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 that seems to be the general assumption. And, and so... The, the way I look at this whole thing is that Putin has a bunch of these guys all scattered about, and Putin is absolutely terrified of having his money frozen. And there's, there's one more element to this whole Magnitsky thing, which is that, that in addition to his own money that he's worried about having frozen, the way in which he's able to keep the, the power in Russia is to have other people who are potentially powerful loyal to him through the dividing up the, the loot. And so to the extent that the money isn't his, he, the, the way he keeps people loyal is by making sure that they have enough money and they're using their power to support him, and so he's the only game in town. And the Magnitsky Act ruins the whole damn thing for them because it puts all of their money at risk. And moreover, what the Magnitsky Act does is it's, it's, it's provided a model not just for human rights abuse but for all sorts of other terrible crimes like election hacking and invading Ukraine. And so there's a lot more people being sanctioned using the exact template of the Magnitsky Act which has affected people very broadly in Putin's inner circles. 
Yeah, so it, you, I mean, you're the person who finally figured out how to handcuff him in in certain ways that drive him crazy. I mean, you mentioned that he wants to kill you, and I knew that, and that's been true for a long time. But a chill went down my spine yesterday when he brought it up because it made it it made it real and immediate in a new way. I mean, do you think the danger you face has in, increased? It certainly felt very present and visceral at that press conference. Well, I think the danger has been very high for a long time. This is just the uh, this is just the, the uh, us getting to see it for, firsthand how he feels. I mean, he he has been fully after me in a lot of different ways. After Canada passed the Magnitsky Act in last October, uh, he got very upset about that, and um, and he, he was at, there was a there was a, a gathering of journalists and academics where he he had an opportunity to answer questions and. At, it's called the Valdai Summit, and at this gathering, a Canadian academic, very sympathetic to Putin, said, well, how do you feel about the Magnitsky Act? And Putin said, I don't feel good about it. And then he went into this five-minute diatribe, attacking me and accusing me of all sorts of terrible crimes. And what was most interesting was not the words, but the body language. If you watch this guy, Vladimir Putin, um, his forehead was getting all twisted and furrowed, and you could just tell. I mean, it was he, he was not playing poker. He, he was pissed. He was pissed off at me, and 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 he was he was so upset because all of a sudden Canada had joined in, into this Magnitsky, uh, uh, this viral Magnitsky situation where all countries are doing it, and Canada is in a certain way worse than America because because people can be anti-American around the world, but Canada is this great symbol of this moderate um, sort of liberalism and. If when I'm going to Sweden to tell them to do a Magnitsky Act, I'm saying they're saying, well, we we don't follow what America does. I say, well, how can you how can you argue with what Canada does? And they say, you know, you're right. (laughs) But you have to make a calculation. I mean, he put out after that, he put out another Interpol arrest warrant for you. I think you were arrested briefly in in Madrid uh, before liberal governments around the world rallied and got you got you released. But I mean, do you have to make a calculation every time you travel? Is this a country that will defend? me? Is this the country that will resist pressure from Putin to extradite me and kill me? Absolutely. There, there's many, many countries I don't go to. Um, there are certain countries I absolutely won't even touch. You know, I won't, I won't go to Dubai. I won't, I, I won't go to uh, Malaysia. I won't go to Guatemala because they're, they're all countries that would hand me over in a heartbeat. But even some countries that you think might, might be reasonable countries. So um, just recently, Italy was, uh, the Prime Minister of Italy is an openly pro-Putin guy, and I was supposed to be going to meet with members of parliament in Italy. And after my Spanish experience, I thought, thought to myself, you know, I, I don't want to end up having the Italians trying to curry favor with Putin by handing me over, and so I just canceled my trip. And this is one of the countries where you're trying to pass a version of the Magnitsky Act, right? So that must be tough. You have to, in, in, you have to lobby long distance. Well, I mean, uh, there's some countries I didn't travel to at all. While I I love Estonia and the Estonians, um, their border is right on the – they sit right on the border with Russia, and um, they've actually grabbed people from inside Estonia and took them back to Russia. So I never went there, but we were successful in getting the Magnitsky Act passed in Estonia without me having to go there. And so it's not an absolute prerequisite. Well, uh, Bill, we wanted to check in with you after yesterday and, uh, of course, stay safe and keep up the good work. Thank you so much. That's it for today's show. Trumpcast is produced by Jason DeLeon. I want to thank you guys for the ratings and reviews you've been giving us on iTunes. They really cheer us up over at Trumpcast. 
And I'd like to ask you a favor. Could you give us a few more, or maybe those of you who haven't gotten around to it? It's really helpful because it helps people discover the show. I'm Jacob Weisberg. Thanks for listening to Trumpcast. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.